heads up before hopping into this episode of draft season uh, we had a great guest to talk international prospects and with that we of course recorded for a very long time and we thought it'd be best to split it up into two episodes so that's why this episode probably seems to end pretty abruptly without our whole spiel at the end of shout outs and and plugs um but you'll you'll be able to hear all that in part two uh, but it works because it correlates to Nick's two pieces on the next wall about these international guys. Uh, so just wanted to give you that heads up for when it seems like this pod just kind of ends. So here's part one and be on the lookout for part two. Welcome back to TKW's draft season presented by the next wall and whistle sports. I am your co-host, Jess Reinhardt, of course, joined by my other co-host, Nick Caranti. What's up, Nick? Not a whole lot. I'm very excited for this one. I've been waiting through a day of parent-teacher conferences to talk about it. So, This is the podcast meant for Nick, um, and you all will shortly know why. That is because it is our international prospects podcast, and we are very lucky to have a guest on with us tonight. Uh, we are joined by Ignacio Risotto, who is the co-founder of ID Prospects. Ignacio, how are you doing tonight? Hey guys, how are you doing? Uh, thank, thank you so much for 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 inviting me, and um, hopefully uh, we can get to some some prospects that you know in this international class that don't haven't gotten too too much attention beyond you know the ones commonly known as as Killian and as as Denny Abdia. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me and hope I I, I can do a good job. Absolutely. Yeah. So with that, you know, we we have talked about various international guys on draft season, um, like the two you just mentioned, Killian and Denny. I know Nick was on talking about Poku on the main TKW pod. Um, But for this podcast, we kind of wanted to dive a little bit deeper into those lesser known prospects, a couple guys who, um, if they get drafted at all, will be in the second round, um, guys who you probably haven't heard of that much. And full disclosure, I don't know a lot about them, and I kind of did that on purpose. I'm, I kind of want to serve as, you know, the the general fan who hasn't really watch these guys a whole ton literally the only thing i've done to prepare for this podcast is pulled where they're from how old they are what position they play and their stats like i usually do um so i'm really leaning on nick and and ignacio here to kind of guide me through this and hopefully in doing so guides all of our listeners into into learning a little bit more um, but before we get to the individual prospects, Ignacio, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit more? Tell us kind of about your your history and your focus in terms of international prospects and things like that. So uh, to to make a little recap, I started doing you know scouting more as a serious thing, as a more con- 
consistent thing around 2017, 2018. So I had an opportunity to um, work for the Stepien with, you know, great, great basketball minds, way more talented that I, that I can ever be, uh, like Cole Swicker and, you know, Ricky Skrika and uh, Ross, who's now working for uh, 24-7 Sports. And, you know, I could, I could mention everyone. Uh, but, you know, and, you know, that as I was trying to find, you know, my, my place on the side, I initially started uh, with high school basketball. And then, you know, I started transitioning into high school age uh, prospects from, from the international game. And I just, you know, ended up falling in love with the international game with, you know, how organized everything was with how easy it is to find, you know, quality tape from games. And I just felt comfortable watching and taking a lot of notes and creating my own database or of international prospects. And that's what I've been doing for the past two years, just know focusing on on international prospects from right now i'm on id prospects which i'll get to in a minute um but we're focusing on prospects who are range from the draft eligible guys so born in 1998 all the way until prospects born in 2004 and 2005 so prospects who will be draft eligible by 2023 and 2024 um and so um, so after the step and I moved on, we, with Andrew Mastin, uh, we founded ID prospects, uh, a website that focuses solely on, on international prospects. And we want to have a more, uh, wide range of, of players, not only those who have NBA potential, but also those players who can, you know, end up in the NCAA, um, ranks who can you know we try to draw the line at prospects we feel have division one potential and we feel that number is around 120 to 150 players per generation so that's the volume of players that we try to cover uh on the site and yeah that's that's pretty much what that's has been pretty much my, my, my development arc, uh, up until this point. Wow. That that's incredible, especially with that, that number of different prospects and stuff you're planning on looking at. That's uh pretty impressive for sure. I, and I would say personally that the, I, I really enjoy the site and I think it's a great resource, especially for American NBA draft fans like ourselves that, want to learn a little bit more about international prospects that you may have not watched because they're not on TV in America. I, I really recommend it. Thanks. Uh, we try to, we try to keep it balanced between the prospects that, you know, American um, public, which is pretty much the bulk of our, of our audience and of our readers. Uh, we try to, keep a balance between the prospect that they will watch at some point, whether it is at the NCAA level and at the NBA level with prospects who are like way more fringy, but you know, we just have fun watching them or we just have something to say on them. 
And that's, I think, at the end of the day, I think that's the key. If you, you know, force yourself to write about certain prospect because everyone is talking about him, uh, I, I don't think you can do as good as work as you can do with prospects who uh, just, you know, you just have fun watching or you just have something to say about them. So that's that's the balance we try to keep on the site and I hope that we're doing a good job of on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of also what we're doing here on this arm of the Knicks wall with draft season, just because I, I know, at least for me and, and for Nick, it's partly the international piece. And for me, it's definitely college basketball. Like that is where my main passion is. So to be able to talk more about these guys who are coming right out of college, um, or in this case, coming from the international game, like if that's what we can talk about and write about, like that's what we want to do. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you have to have fun and enjoy what you're doing. Um, so, you know, obviously there's always going to be obligations and there's always going to be, you know, prospects that you really want to put out something before someone else. Uh, I won't deny it. Uh, I, I enjoy <laughs> being the, the first one to tweet about a prospect. I enjoy being able to come here and say, look, I was writing about Pokushevsky in March 2019 saying he might be an NBA prospect uh, and, you know, just, you know, brag a, a bit about it. But at the end of the day, you know, there's there's prospect you're going to enjoy watching. There's prospect you're not going to enjoy watching. And I think that at the end of the day, um, you have to learn how much that affects your evaluation. And if you're being kind of unfair to a prospect just because he's boring to watch or, you know, on the other end, if you think a prospect is really an NBA player or D1 player, or you just have so much fun watching him that you're overrating him. So uh, it's, 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 it's interesting, but I, I guess, again, at the end of the day, if you're not enjoying what you're watching and you're not having fun, uh, writing notes, watching players, and, you know, just thinking about the NBA draft and the college system and the development system around the world. Um, and you're, you're doing that and you're not enjoying that. That's not sustainable. Yeah. And I, I think Jess mentioned it. We definitely have tried to do that with draft season and we've, we've wanted to talk about not just the, the guys the Knicks might take. We want to talk about guys that, that are fun to watch guys that, if you haven't heard of, you may enjoy watching or will enjoy watching next year in the NBA or whenever they're in the NBA. And I think, I think tonight goes along line, same lines with that. These are probably not Knicks picks being as the Knicks need competent NBA basketball players that can immediately get on the court. And these guys may not even be in the NBA next year, but I, I think these are guys that if you like the NBA draft and you like just basketball, it, it can give you something it's they're fun to watch guys at least some of them are and also it's it's something a little different i've still been trying to let jess talk or talk jess into letting me do a whole post podcast on justinian jessup so <laughs> if we get there then i might have gone too far but i'm, I'm excited for the guys we're going to talk about tonight 
Yeah, and since we're talking, we're going to talk about you know late players projected to be late first rounders to early and mid second rounders. Um, you know, just even though none of these players might be projected to end up on the Knicks, the second round is so um, you know uh, is so right. it's ever changing, and in draft night there's a ton of trades, and who knows, one of these prospects might might end up on the Knicks, whether it is as a draft prospect or as an undrafted free agent, or, you know, they just trade for a certain pick. This is a year where a lot of NBA teams are, might be struggling in terms of, you know, how much money they are making, how much they are, they are losing. Um, so, you know, there's going to be apparently, or by what, you know, the word around is that there's going to be a lot of picks that get bought and sold. So, you know, who knows? Maybe one, one of them ends up ends up on the Knicks. Like with the second round, you, you never know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think with that, um, Nick, do you want to kick off just talking a little bit about, you know, the the differences when we're talking about international prospects just in terms of their development and how that looks compared to someone here in the U.S. where it's very it's I mean it's pretty rigid in terms of high school AAU college MBA um, it can be different on the international side yeah and I think that's something that's worth talking about and absolutely necessary to think about when when evaluating international prospects because it is such a there are so many more contexts in which you're seeing a player and it's important to not only think about the context you're watching them in but to be evaluating multiple contexts and seeing different aspects that you may not be seeing at, at higher levels because they're doing it when they're at a lower level of competition or vice versa and, and I do think it's really Multi-context scouting and, and that sort of idea, I think, is important in general. But I think specifically in international, you do see a, a real correlation with role on the team compared to the level of competition in the, the higher league they're playing in. Ignacio, do you want to talk a little more about that? Yeah, so I've been like banging the drum for multi-context scouting and the importance of it for, for quite a while. Um, not only for international prospects, I think that for um, domestic U.S. prospects, it's also important because a player can underperform at the NCAA level but end up um, being better than advertised at the NBA level uh, just because his context in, in college wasn't the best, but you know he might have done certain things at the high school level that translate to the NBA and not to college. It depends on team context. But when it comes to the international game, you know, the first thing that we uh, need to explain for, for uh, people who is um, mostly accustomed to a structure of high school team, college teams, professional teams, is that sports around the world aren't always i would say 99% of the countries sports aren't really tied up to education so 
there aren't high school or college teams. These are um, teams like you have in, in soccer who represent certain cities, certain neighborhoods in certain cities. And they have a senior team, which is grown men. And then they have different levels according to their age. So you have um, each team has its under 18 team, his under 16 team. There, uh, you know, there's generally junior teams, and depending on the country, how many divisions you have, uh, you have a country like Lithuania who has a league for every single generation. So you have an under 12, under 13, under 14, and each one has a league and each one has a team. Uh, or you have um, countries like Spain who have um, one tournament. Uh, a year who lasts a week for under 18 and under 16, and then they just let their prospects develop in senior teams. Um, so every country is different, but what what's important to know is that there's a context for junior domestic teams, then there's other different contexts of domestic senior teams, and there, there's another different context, which is the national teams. So each prospect can get called up to their national team uh, who, again, goes for under 17, under 16, under 18, depending on the competition. Um, and I think it's important you watch prospects in as many of those contexts as possible because um, different team constructs, different levels of talent, uh, different roles can tell you so many different things about a prospect and help you paint a more complete picture of what that prospect can be. And I got two ex concrete examples. One we're going to talk about later on the podcast, which is uh, Leandro Balmaro, but the other uh, who we're not going to discuss today is Alexej Pakushevsky. And one thing I, I always, I think the biggest misconception to me personally with Pakushevsky around there is that, oh, he didn't play nobody. Like they think that Pokushevsky just came out this year and the only place he played at is the second division in Greece, where I've been watching him play in the under-17 World Cup, in the under-18 FIBA tournaments. I've been watching him play... Um, in the Adidas Next Generation Tournament, which is the biggest club junior tournament in Europe. And in all of those places, he was able to reprise that, that, that same role he has in, on Greek second division. Obviously, there's a huge leap to the NBA, but like cons people who think that Pokushevsky was you know, born this year as a 19-year-old and uh, this is the only place he played at. Uh, like, it's... My, my thing is always, like, my reply to that is always go back and watch previous years. Go back. You don't have to even go back to, you know, 2017. Like, he played in summer of last year, summer of 2019, he played against really good uh, European teams with NBA draft prospects. So 
again, I think I, I went on a tangent, but there's an importance in multi-context um, scouting. Uh, it helps you understand uh, more of a player. It helps you go deeper into a player and it helps you project better what a player can do at an NBA level and not be you know, uninformed uh, about you know, what's really the context and the level of, of competition a player has faced uh, in his entire development. Yeah, and I think that's an important conversation in general. And also, it, it's going to connect to some of the, the guys we're going to be talking about tonight. So it, it is important to have that fresh on the minds of everybody listening and thinking about these prospects to understand the different ways we'll be talking about them. And we fully support tangents here on draft season. Oh, so. awesome. Awesome. I'm going to go on a song. <laughs> sorry. Well, sorry, 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 <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry before him. Oh, I mean, no, you're, you're at least keeping it about, about basketball. We've gone on tangents about the Mighty Ducks movies before. So, you know. Yeah. Oh, oh, that, that's my kind of tangent. That's my kind <laughs> of tangent right there. So, but yeah, I hope, I hope, uh, I generally, my, the podcast I'm at generally tend to run super long. So I, I'm going to try to keep it like, uh friendly for for everyone uh and and not go on so many rants it is all good but (laughs) to give us a little bit of structure here i am going to get into our first prospect um which is teo maladon who he's a french 19 year old 6'3 guard um nick i think in you've mentioned this recently uh usually you know we go in the order of how we're seeing prospects on draft boards and it's kind of a toss-up between Teo and Leandro Balmero right now in terms of where they're going but start off with Teo um I guess what puts him at the top of at least this list right now that's hard for me to answer because he's not at the top of my list of these guys all right fair enough but I will I will give you the answer you're looking for which is he really should seem to be a solid combo guard. He does a lot of things well, and he is someone that I definitely understand the intrigue about. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about the, the context that Ignacio was, was just talking about to explain him a little more as a, as a prospect. But just watching the, the film of him, you can see why he, w- he would be a first-round player or first round pick and why teams would really like him because I, I do think he he's very experienced in in Europe and he's played a lot of basketball he I, I wish I was a little more positive on him to answer this question well <laughs> all right so let, let's let's toss it to Ignacio then I can I can, I can make the case for him okay um, even though I'm I'm not super optimistic about Theo but I think there's three aspects to consider on why he's higher than, than, than Balmaro, for, for example. Uh, one is that I think that primary initiation and versatile shooting are pretty much extremely valuable in today's NBA. Uh, and I think that's what Maledon does at a certain level. So uh, he is someone who can run an offense, um, not someone who's going to do a ton of 
creative uh, passing or, you know, passing out of advantages he creates by himself, but he's solid, he's consistent, and, you know, can make the right play with consistency um, and not play, you know, out of control and rack a ton of turnovers of, you know, just boneheaded decisions. Yeah, uh, I, I think solid solid is the word I, I think I did use, and I would use that as well because I, I do see that, like you're kind of saying of the, you know, not super flashy, not super, I, I wouldn't say super high ceiling, but I, I definitely think solid is a good word to, to talk about him. And I also think that solid is a word that um, qualifies for his shooting. He's not someone who is going to create a ton of, Uh, shots for himself on the perimeter. Uh, but, you know, he has had a solid track record in the past two years of uh, shooting percentages, um, which he has improved a ton. I think the first time I watched him was at the Under-17 World Cup, and he shot really, really poorly the ball. I think it was around, I don't have the stats here with me, but it was around you know, the low 20s to the high teens mark. Um, and this year he's shooting 33.3% from three. Um, last year he shot even better. Um, and he's someone who can use screens to his advantage and can punish defenders for going under. But um, he's he has kind of a slow release uh, and not you know, not lightning quick and explosive ball handling to create space. So he's not someone who you want out there uh, creating looks off the dribble and being your, your primary shot creator. And I think that's when you combine that with the fact that he's not also someone who is going to be blowing by guys in the perimeter and, you know, Uh, getting by defenders by himself. He's at his best um, when assisted by a screen or like I would say his ball handling and his athleticism would be best described as fluid than explosive. Um, so when you combine that uh, and, and you think about a potential role at, at the NBA level, you think about the limitations to create advantages And I think that creating advantages and exploiting them uh, are two things that every primary initiator should have, or at least every starting primary initiator, every starting point guard should be able to do that to be, um, you know, a, a positive on offense. Um, and he's 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 not someone who has been able to do that at his level of competition. But again, he's solid on a ton of areas. He's polished. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. So you see his entire package and you go, okay, he can be a, a backup point guard. Uh, and, you know, it goes to his limitations on, on his ceiling. Uh, And like going back to, to the beginning and enjoying watching prospects or having fun watching prospects, he might not be the most fun prospect to watch, but I think he's uh, someone who does 
the small things and the solid uh, and consistent things that a team needs to win, but he's not going to do the creation uh, for himself that is required to be a starter in the NBA. I agree on that, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, we've, we've talked about the, the multi-context scouting. Uh, can you tell us a little about Teo's development arc? Because it, it, it is a little unique. Yeah, so Maledon, I'm going to talk about the first time I, I really pay attention to him, which was at the Under-17 World Cup in, in, it was in Argentina, it was in 2018. And in that, that was when he played next to Killian Hayes, which obviously is, you know, more, more highly regarded than him. Um, and, you know, it's in, depending on who you ask, he's in competition for the number one overall pick. But, you know, most likely he's a, a lottery top 10 pick. Um, so in that tournament, he was, playing off the ball um, next to Killian Hayes. And he didn't really have the best tournament. He was struggling finding his shot. Um, he was racking a ton of turnovers when, um, when he had the ball in his hands and didn't really contribute a ton defensively. Uh, I have his stats here and he shot 38.5% from the field uh, and 18.2% from three. Um, so really not, not, not huge numbers. Um, he had spent up until that time, uh, you know, two years developing in INSEP, which is uh, an institute that um, develops pretty much every French basketball player is run uh or at least is sponsored by the French state. Um, and he had played in INSEP uh, until he signed with uh, Asvel. And then in Asvel, I think he, you know, started turning th things around and had a really good 2018-2019 season as a 17-18 year, year, year old player, uh, shooting really well, uh, shooting the ball really well, seeing minutes, at the European level, not in Euro League, but in Euro Cup. Um, and so he's someone who is, you know, really battle-tested in a way. He's been playing against Rome men since 2015 when he was 14 years old. Um, so that's something, and going back to the, the difference in developmental system, um, that's the, the difference in Europe. Uh, he was playing... Obviously, this was the, the third, fourth division of, of French basketball, so not necessarily uh, the best level of competition, but he was a 14-year-old seeing minutes against grown men. And I think that has made him learn how to play in control and how to uh, be effective without being the biggest player on the floor or the most physically imposing player on the floor or the most talented play, player on the floor. And I think that made him develop certain craftiness that you see within his game, uh, which makes him compensate for certain lack in, you know, explosive ball handling or, um, you know, 
um, explosive create creativeness or creativity in some way. I just want to, um, just because honestly, you know, this is all I, all the research I've done. I do just want to run quickly through the stats of his, the full stats of his last, um, played season, um, which included yearly games and that Jeep elite league, uh, for, um, as well. Um, so he, they played. 46 total games. Um, he started 23 of them total, averaged 17 minutes per game, 42% from the field, 33% uh, from three, uh, averaged 77.6% from the free throw line on about two attempts per game. Um, 1.9 rebounds, 2.7 assists. Um, only 1.6 turnovers and 7.3 points per game. I mean, again, I'm coming into this pretty blind and just saying those stats out loud. I'm just like, eh, I mean, I guess. Yeah, but I think it, it goes back to um, what we've been discussing in the beginning, um, which is that, you know, prospects – not not every prospect has the possibility that Killian Hayes had at at all. Not has every the opportunity. Yeah. yeah, not every prospect has the the opportunity to go and you know get the ball in their hands from day one and someone telling him, "Look, you're gonna be the guy. You're gonna have the ball in your hands most of the times. You're gonna be the primary decision maker." Um, you know, they play within their roles and it's something that we've seen with Denny Abdiya, uh, who you see him play for for Israel under 20 and under 18 teams and he's the prospect, he's the player. He takes most of the shots, he brings the ball up, he makes plays, but you see him play at the Euro League level and he's more limited in what he does because, you know, he understand what his team needs from him to win. Um, so I think that's that's the case with Theo. He is asked to do just that, and that's what his team needs from from him to to have the best possibility uh, to to win. And I guess that's why not only with Theo but with most prospects, you're going to have those types of of stats. Absolutely, and. Ignacio, you should just know that you're making both of our hearts sing anytime you bring up Denny. So we're here for it for any and all references to him. We are we are the self-proclaimed number one Denny podcast. Oh, oh, that that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm gonna bring him like every I'm gonna have a Denny counter here. So listen, listen, all I'm all I'm asking, all I really want, and I've I've convinced myself it's not gonna happen because of how much I want it to happen is him somehow maybe not at two but the warriors draft down they get denny and i can run and put on my warriors hoodie and just be happy for the rest of the night that is my dream <laughs> for next wednesday i mean nobody nobody has any clue of what's gonna happen in this draft it's like... it's crazy man it is it is bizarre and we'll definitely i think get into the kind of overall draft 
landscape as we we get through these these guys um nick is there anything you want to add about Teo or ignacio um otherwise we can move on to to our next guy i have something uh which is i think one of the things that i didn't mention and to me sure. the one of the keys with Theo is going to be um, how much is he able to handle contact at the NBA level? Because I think that's a, that's been a big limitation for him up until this point. Um, and it has brought him some strengths. So like, I think without looking at the numbers, I think the ITIS tells me that he's really good at, at making floaters and making finishes from you know beyond the restricted area but he was able to develop that because he avoids contact going to the rim um mm -hmm. and and that's a strength but you know there's the weakness of you know see him going through screens and taking bad angles to avoid hitting screens and you know players are able to create advantages Uh, just for the bad angles he takes off, off screens because he doesn't want that physicality. So uh, even though he's six foot three and he plays as a combo guard in Europe, I don't think that, you know, with that level of avoidance of physicality, he's able to defend any twos at the NBA level, in my opinion. So I think that getting more uh, comfortable with contact and, you know, getting especially working on the lower body uh, and not getting pushed off, off of his spots that much. Um, I had a conversation a, a few years ago with someone and he told me that it's not so much um, lower body work, but he has a high center of gravity. So he has high hips and it, it's um, more difficult for him to, to really, uh, you know, be on his spot and, and not get pushed around. But whatever it is, I think getting comfortable with physicality is going to be one of the keys for him. And is is going to be the difference between someone who can actually get to the rim and finish and, and be a positive defender or at least a neutral defender or someone you 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 can have on the floor because he, he doesn't tolerate any type of physicality. Yeah, and I think you know, like you said, maybe he is good at these floaters and things like that right now, but everything is, uh, everything's a skill until they take it away. Right. Everything is something you can count on until they take it away. And I don't, you know, I don't think it'll be hard for NBA teams to realize that and, and take those away and try to get physical with them. So it'll be interesting to see how he does react to that. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you're, if everyone knows you're going to take a floater and you're not even going to um, be close to the rim, they're just going to play the floater. They're just, right. defenders are going to be ready for that. And that obviously will decrease your, your effectiveness. So yeah, that definitely needs to uh, become stronger to be more versatile and be less predictable uh, as a finisher and as a scorer. For sure. Um, so with that, let, let's move on to, to our next prospect. And that is Leandro Balmero, who is Argentinian. He's 20 years old, six seven forward, um, but most recently playing and currently playing in Spain. Um, 
and Ignacio, I wonder, is is this why maybe some he's starting to, you know, some drafts have him below um, below Teo is because it it you know he is going to be a one of those draft and stash kind of guys. Yeah, so Bolmaro uh, just recently signed a contract uh, through 2023 for Barcelona. Um, like everything with Euro uh, European teams, not a lot of details uh, have come out of his contract. Um, the rumor is that you know the buyout clause for him is uh, kind of um, friendly uh, in terms of not being super high, so he could. You know, so it makes it possible for him to take the leap to the NBA whenever he wants to. Um, from what I read and from what he told the press, he's really comfortable with Barcelona coaching staff and with the team and with um, everyone up there. Barcelona has three or four guys who could be in the NBA or are one year removed from the NBA, like. Nikola Mirotic had offers from the NBA. He decided to go to Barcelona. Um, Alex Sabrinas had offers from the NBA. He decided to go back to Barcelona. So if there's a place for him to learn from NBA pros, uh, that's, that's, that's Barcelona. Um, but I think that not every team is in a position, especially at the end of the first round where you have mostly contending teams i don't think every team is in a position where where, where they can say okay let's draft the guy who's not going to contribute to anything uh next year um even though this is the type of draft where you could take that sort of gamble if you don't think there's there's a, a guy who's going to contribute next year but i think um the reason for him dropping might be that um, might be just that might be that not every team is willing to wait who knows how many seasons for a first round pick to to ever make it to to the U.S. Yeah, and and with that, I will say, I mean, there's so much variance in this in this draft, and I think everybody will tell you that nobody knows anything. But I do think the same couple of teams I do keep seeing Balmero linked to and mocked to because there are teams that either have multiple drafts, draft picks and would would benefit from freeing up a roster spot or there could be benefits to them not taking that onto the cap. But there, there are a couple teams like Boston. I've seen a lot, a team like Oklahoma City that is probably not trying to win right now anyway, um, where he is pretty consistently linked to and everything I'm seeing, which does make sense. And I think goes to what you're saying of that's not a position that every team is in, especially in those, those 20 kind of range. Yeah, exactly. And with, with, with that being said, I don't want to discount, like, I don't want to leave out, you know, um, truly valid concerns about his, his overall profile. Um, so I think like, the combination of, of his contract situation with, you know, teams not being so sure, teams and, you know, me, myself, not being so sure of how is he going to develop as a shooter, uh, which I think is, is the big con concern with him, or, um, you know, just how much 
creation is he going to be able to do um, with the ball in his hands, considering certain, you know, when, when I see Balmaro, I think he's an athletic prospect, but he's has that open court athleticism and not so much short area quickness. And that lack of short area quickness to me is what makes him limited as, as, as a driver and as someone who is going to, to initiate drives. And, you know, so you take away the shooting as a weapon, you take away the drive creation as a weapon. So what, are exactly teams getting with him. So I, I, I get the concerns um, and, and that might, those might be playing also a role beyond his, um, his contract situation with Barcelona. Yeah, and I think those are important to mention. I think we both used solid to describe Teo as a prospect. I, I don't think that's a word I would use to describe Balmero. I, I personally love Balmero. I just... I'm a, I love passing and I'm in love with, with Balmero's passing. He's just got unbelievable, unbelievable vision. And I, I really think that that is what makes him such an intriguing prospect to me, but you're right. If, if he does not develop a jumper in a way that needs to be developed, it's going to be really hard for him to be a, a contributing NBA player. And I, I think the passing and defense are enough for me to, 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 be really interested in regardless but the development of the jumper is so crucial to the kind of player he'll end up being yes exactly so the first thing is that you know with where his shooting is right now so it's not only um the concern is not so much about the percentages but about mechanics and about the lack of shot versatility. So if, if he was shooting the, the, the percentages he's shooting, but the shots would be, you know, um, pull-up shots and, you know, th those type of shots, difficult shots that he's creating off the dribble or even, you know, catch and shoot threes that, you know, he's taking with little time and space, running off pin downs, coming off screens. That would be one thing, but shots are mostly, um, shots are for him are mostly uh, off the catch. So I have a stat here from 35 games that Instat has recorded between the 2019-20 season and the current season. So in 35 games, uh, Bolmaro has taken only uh, two pull-up threes and he's missed them both. Um, so that's, that to me is, that to me is concerning. Um, obviously you should, we should probably see what, qualifies as, as pull-up for um, instead and whatnot, but at the end of the day, it's something that you also see on the eye test. Every shot he takes from the perimeter is a catch-and-shoot three. And if he takes the quote-unquote easier shots from the perimeter and he's shooting the percentages he's shooting, um, that's a concern both for 
his lack of results, but also for his lack of, of versatility. And, you know, you know that his ceiling in that area is a bit, um, is a bit limited because if he's not, if he doesn't show any versatility up until this point, uh, he's might not ever develop a decent pull-up game. And he's, if he doesn't develop a pull-up game that limits his, his ability to create. And so, okay. So now you're talking about someone who at the very best can be a passable Uh, catch and shoot three players. So what's left of him? Like you mentioned, the passing on a secondary level, but he's someone who can bring the ball up and make really creative passes, especially in transition. He has ridiculous vision at times. Um, and then the defense, the defense on the perimeter, someone who really uh, has a really high motor, uh, can cover drives, can stay in front of, I would like to say one through three, I would like to see him against NBA caliber point guards, but you know, he uses his size really well and he's, he has the open court athleticism um, to, you know, which he really applies to the defensive end and especially the motor and how much he takes pride on, on that end of, of the floor. So if you want someone who, is going to contribute an offense from the passing and is going to contribute on defense, you know, from the perimeter, but might not be able to do anything else on the ball. Uh, and and it, it's, it's kind of a strange mix of skills for a six foot six, six foot seven guy. Uh, and so it's, it's really hard to value that. And I would be sure that, you know, there are teams who are, really high on Balmaro, and there are teams who say, look, we can trust the guy who doesn't shoot and doesn't create drives, and that's why uh, they might not have him uh, as, as a first round. So I, I feel like Balmaro is a guy who every there's going to be a ton of variance between teams and how, how they see him. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting, and I think that's a, a good point. When I was doing some research for my, my article on these guys last week, I was reading some older older profiles from even just the beginning, you know, of quarantine before kind of before then, before everything kind of went the way it did with the draft. And I think he was kind of looked at right in along the same tier as Poku by by a lot of people. And that was before he had he had confirmed he was not coming over immediately. I, I do find it interesting. I think a lot of the things we're talking about, you know, good good defender, secondary playmaker, good passer, questionable shot. These are all things that we've, the conversations we've had about Denny. So there's your Denny counter. Give a ding there. <laughs> we're, we're two, we're two, we're two <laughs> down. Um, no. So it's interesting and it's, they are similar prospects in a way, I would say uh, in that same, same concerns in terms of, Uh, the shooting, same profile as a bigger player who could, you know, in the case of Danny, he can play three and four. In the case of Almaro, he's more of a two and three, uh, but a bigger player who can make plays for others on a secondary level. Um, so, yeah, so I definitely see the comparison. I think one of the reasons, I don't want to say one of one of the reasons Paul Morrow might, might have dropped, but 
I think like I wonder if with Palmaro and with the you know ridiculously creating creative flashes of passing, I think a lot of scouts might have gotten caught up with the with a certain aesthetic bias in that he's such a fun prospect to watch that you instinctively tend to think he's better than he really is. So you tend to overrate him a bit. And then as you watch more and more, you get desensitized to those sort of plays and you start considering the prospect for what he could really, for for which or what value he could really add to an NBA team. And that that makes you drop him. So I wonder if there's a, a bit of uh, of an aesthetic bias or a bias of, you know, just how much you enjoy watching him as a prospect. Which is why I think he's a, an interesting foil in comparison to Maladon. And I, I do think the two will be linked. I think they'll be drafted in, in a fairly similar range and being the, the two European prospects or two prospects playing in Europe from, from that range. I do think there will be some comparison of the two. And I, I think the flashy passes and, and the fun to watch factor being there for Mal or being there for Balmero as opposed to Maladon is just an interesting contrast because I know when I'm when I'm watching film and I'm I'm doing my research on them, I, I enjoy watching Balmero so much more. But you, you do make an interesting point on on the limitations and, and how he is as a total prospect. And you know, I was um looking at uh, Balmero's stats. And so, Ignacio, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, looking at last year's stats compared to just the beginning of this year, which they've he's played 14 games, there, there seemed to be a, a, a big drop this year. But when I'm looking at it, it looks like one of the teams he was playing for, they, it's listed as FC Barcelona 2. So is that, like, one of the more the junior team? Is that not the... Yeah. It's it's uh it's quote unquote a junior team. It plays on Lev Silver, mm-hmm. that it, which is the third division of Spanish basketball. And I would say the older player in that Barcelona team is probably born in 1999 or 98. Uh, okay. And then it's mostly prospects born between 2001 and 2003. Uh, gotcha. So so it's that type of team, but playing against grown men or maybe one or th- that league is grown men but one or two teams are just like barcelona like um gran canaria has its team there and i think i think that's pretty much it just just gran canaria but um but yeah so so that's why you see um you know he and and the big difference it's not so much in the percentages in terms of shooting, but the volume. So yeah. uh, in in the Lev Silver, he shot six, three, uh, three-pointers per game on 28 minutes per game. And in the ACB, which is the, the main uh, league in Spain, the first division, he shot 1.4 threes per game. So obviously he had a longer leash so to speak, in, in the Lev Silver, and he could get away with, with those shots because he was more of a... Uh, he was higher as an offensive option than on the, on the senior team. For sure. And in, in that Silver League, you know, just looking... I mean, just points alone, because of 
more of that usage. Obviously, it's 14.9 points versus 5.1 points per game. Um, and I, so that's obviously a big reason why right now, you know, I wasn't sure if it was just because it was early in the season or what it was that, you know, right now he's only averaging three points per game uh, total uh, in the ACB. It's 3.6 points per game. Um, so it will be interesting as that continues to see where, where the numbers go. Um, he is shooting 94% from the line in ACB right now, which obviously, I mean, that's only on 2.25 times per game, but you always want to see that. Yeah. I think with, with Balmero, I don't know if he made any changes to his mechanics before Barcelona, before last year. Uh, because I, you know, with Argentina in the South American championships and I saw him once, I think it it was in one of the camps. I think it was basketball without borders global. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he struck me as a good shooter. He struck me as a consistent shooter. Someone who was, um, you know, really fluid on, on his, sh- on his jumper. Uh, but I think like, I think he might have made some changes to the release. Uh, he's now he has a quick one motion release right now, but he uh, and this is something that um, BD Web on on um, on Twitter uh, above the break three is his handle. One of the best basketball and draft minds out there. Yeah, um, his great account. If y'all aren't following it, definitely. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, so he noticed a, a while ago that he he does kind of a weird flail out with uh, so so his his shooting wrist kind of flails out a bit and too aggressively so that might be giving the ball some extra spin and effective affecting his uh his aim which i think has to do with you know making his shot release quicker um and and you know that's a theory, but I, I saw him previously being a good shooter, and it wasn't like a a Markel Fultz type of they broke my shot. But <laughs> there's there are there are you you wish to see him uh, more fluid, even though he had a slower release like he did before. But the the point is he used to have shooting touch. And I think that with enough time and repetition, I think that could develop, but not to a level where he's going to be out, out there creating shots of the dribble uh, or even being a versatile shooter off the catch. You want him mostly spotting up with as much time and space as needed. I think he can develop to be that guy. I don't think he can develop to be any other type of, of, of shooter. Interesting. Interesting. I'm just taking it all in, folks. Just trying to <laughs> absorb as much as I can. So when they're announced on Wednesday, I know who the heck they are. 